Mark 6, we're going to read together. Verse 30. If you've got one of our coloring sheets or worksheets, you'll have a head start because you'll know where we're going with all this. The fact that there's five bits of bread and two fish on your coloring sheets will give you a clue as to where we're going today. Uh, Mark 6, starting at verse 30. This is God's word. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place uh, and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they, they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. God's word. We're going to look at this uh, text together under two headings. And we're going to see, first of all, number one, that, that the compassion of Jesus satisfies our deepest desires. All right. And the second thing we're going to see is the compassion of Jesus stirs our faith-filled mission. All right. It satisfies us and it stirs us. And we'll see how that happens in this um, Bible passage now, uh, they've just returned from their awesome mission trip in verse 30. Uh, and the disciples, the apostles, the 12 of them, uh, were keen. They were excited to, to share all the, the stories of what had happened. Don't forget, back at um, uh, the earlier part of chapter 6, Jesus had sent out the 12 disciples. And he said to them, go and have authority over the unclean spirits. Go and heal people in my name. Go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. I send you. Off you go. And so we see here in verse 30, they come back and they're full of stories, full of uh, amazing, you know, uh, uh, witness of all, of all the, the, the healing and, and the, you know, removing uh, evil spirits and all that stuff. And, and so Jesus says, look, look, come away by yourselves. Let's just get together. Let's get the team together. Let's, let's go and rest. All right, you've had a busy season of ministry. You've done some awesome things in my name. Well done. Let, let's recoup. Um, let's have a, a debrief. And there we can share and reflect on what we've, what we've learned and how we can, we can go forward together as a team. Because it says there, uh, you know, uh, um, in verse 31, um, there's so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples couldn't even eat. All right? the, the crowds were, were clamoring. Uh, people just wanted a piece of them. And not just now Jesus, but the disciples were able to, to do similar miracles. And so, you know, fever pitch was, was, was being reached. And so they resorted yet again to get into the boat just so that they could be alone, the 12 of them plus Jesus, 
Get in the boat. Let's just chill. Let's go and find ourselves a nice remote place, a desolate place, it says there again in verse 32. Off we go. Let's just have some downtime. But as, as we see in the story there, uh, in verse 33, e- even when uh, they arrived at the other side of the lake that they wanted to go to, um, they were spotted, right? It was like, uh, you know, a celebrity getting maybe chased by the paparazzi. Uh, you know, there's no rest. They just couldn't get, get free. And so uh, even though Jesus and his disciples ended up in a nice, quiet, desolate place, you know, nothing going on, just, just fields and nothing much else, uh, the, the people uh, ran on foot, it says there, and, and went from town to town, you know, to, to go and, uh, and be with Jesus and go and hear him and, and, and gather around him. You get, you get the feeling that it was kind of snowballing, you know, maybe a little group left from the town that they started and, and went to the next town and, hey, hey, Jesus is coming, let's rally the troops, let's muster some people, and then they went to the next town and even more, and the, and the word gets out and it spreads and, you know, snowballs. And, and by the time Jesus and his team get to the place where they wanted to be to chill out there was a great crowd it says massive enthusiastic supporters just just throbbing crowd but this isn't just any crowd in in fact uh, throughout the text um, Mark sort of hints that there's something slightly different about this crowd that's maybe just not a general crowd Um, Mark hints that some sort of um, I don't know, an uprising is occurring here. Um, you know, maybe it's starting to, to, to look a bit like a, a revolutionary group. Uh, why do I say that? Well, um, the, the Galilean wilderness where Jesus was, was seeking to go with his disciples for some downtime, that was a popular place for various uprisings to, to begin uh, in, uh, in that contemporary time where mercenaries would gather, where revolutionaries would get together and, and discuss their, their plans, where they would form a you know, revolutionary uh, battalion. And there's, there's quite a few episodes before Jesus and after Jesus as well, where, where groups got together, tried to muster a bit of support and take on the Romans or, or take on whoever's in charge, the, the political leaders. And so we, we, we see these uh, numerous like insurgency movements against uh, the Romans. And so it sounds like something like that is going on. I'll show you a little later, a, a little more evidence as where that comes from. Uh, um, but But uh, they've probably been thinking to themselves, look, look, Jesus is the one, he's the leader, he's the one with the power, right? He's the one with this amazing teaching. Look at, look at the divine power that he has. Let, let's, let's look to him to, to lead us in a successful overthrow of those Romans once and for all. He's the one we've been waiting for. And so that perhaps explains the, the fever pitch. That explains why they ran through towns, mustering support, even in this desolate place. Aha, that can only mean one thing. In fact, in the parallel um, uh, reports from the Gospel of John, uh, John declares that the crowds wanted to take Jesus by force at this time and make him king. You're going to be our king. You're going you're to be our leader. You're going to uh, get on with our agenda. But look at verse 34. When, when, when Jesus spied the crowds, he didn't hop back in the boat and say, right, lads, you know, pull up the anchor. Let's, let's head on to the next place. He didn't move off. It says he saw the crowds in verse 34 and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep just wandering aimlessly, we could say. You know, uh, They had no leader. They had no guide. 
They had no protector. They were disorganized, this disorganized group of hopeful, idealistic people, probably. And Jesus took one, one look at them and, and, and what he saw, he, he knew what they wanted. Uh, he, he understood their hopes. He, he, he perceived what their desires were. And it says he had compassion on them. Here's a Greek word for you. I love it. The word compassion in Greek, the translation here is splanknizomai. Splanknizomai. It talks about compassion being something from the gut, something from the, the lowest level, you know, the, the, the most inner level, the gut feeling. Um, that's, that's where that, that term comes from. He had compassion from his innermost parts, his deepest parts. We might say today, for example, his heart went out to them, something like that. He saw their hunger, he saw their desire, he saw their hope, and he reacted from his deepest parts with compassion for them. They had a hunger, all right, but what did Jesus do initially to feed their hunger, to satisfy their hunger? Well, he says in verse 34, he had compassion, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He fed them with his word. Um, He knew what they needed. They were hungry, and he fed them with his word. Again, the parallel passage in Luke 9, uh, Luke gives us a little more description. It says that Jesus uh, spoke the word of the kingdom of God to them. And this is no surprise. We've seen from the beginning of Jesus' ministry in, in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, he's been teaching the kingdom of God is coming. Repent and believe the gospel. That's, that's the, the big idea for all of Jesus' teaching and ministry. The kingdom is coming. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to show you what it looks like. And I'm going to eventually die to provide you access to it. But we can just imagine Jesus getting up and and speaking to these crowds, hungry for revolution, hungry for a new leader to come and help them overthrow the Romans. And and he might have said something like this. You you have an idea of the kingdom, friends. You you love your nation. You want revolution. I understand that. You want uh, to overthrow the the Roman imperial uh, oversight. I understand that. But let me tell you, what you want will not bring you peace. It will not bring you the security that you hunger for. Friends, it will not bring you the prosperity that your hearts desire, the place that you can call home forever. That will not come through your political revolution. What it will bring you is bloodshed. It will bring you instability. It will bring you loss. It will bring you fear. But I can tell you about a greater kingdom than the one you are hungering for. It's called the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you of a place where heaven comes down to earth in which you can live and receive peace and the security that your heart desires and the prosperity that you so badly hunger for. And in the kingdom of God, there is an eternal home that the moth cannot destroy and will never rust or fade away. Have faith in me. Follow me and do what I say. That's how you can come into my kingdom. We could imagine something like that, Jesus may have said, teaching them. But in verse 35, time's getting on. The disciples are like, come on, you know, we're supposed to be chilling here, Jesus. What's going on? You know, um, it's getting late. 
And again, the disciples, the, the third time uh, this word desolate is used, you know, Mark's just reminding us again and again, it's a desolate place, it's a desolate place, it's a, it's a wilderness. And the disciples come and say, look, um, time, time's getting on. Everybody's getting hungry. You know, maybe the, the, the light is starting to fade here. The physical hunger kicks in. And of course, they're in a desolate place and, and, and there's no shops, there's no markets, there's no stalls, there's no towns. They're in the middle of nowhere. And the disciples, as we've seen here, managed to muster up a small helping of food. And Jesus, in his compassion, he's been feeding the people with his word. Well, now he feeds the people their, their physical needs. He feeds their hunger. And so what happens is we see in verse 40, they sat down in regiments, right, in 50s and 100s. That's not a small detail as, you know, just roughly telling us how many, you know, again, we're suggesting that these people are kind of like, uh, you know, com- coming, coming uh, to form some sort of uh, military or what have you. So they sat down in their, in their regiments in 50s and 100s, ready. And it says there in verse 41, Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he fed them with the bread. That's what he did. And the same with the fish. Bread and fish, great combo. And there was the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. The bread just kept on coming. The fish just kept on coming. One, twos, tens, fifth, that group of 50 has just been served. This group of 100, they're full. It seemed to be that the, the more the disciples shared, the more seemed to appear from the hands of God. Just imagine taking five slices of bread or maybe a couple of baps from cost cutter. It's the equivalent to me and maybe a handful of you guys going around the Belmont Road, up to the Hollywood Road, down to the Newnards Road. That's about 5,000 people, according to Royal Mail. And um, just giving them bread, knocking on their doors, here's some bread, here's some bread, here's some bread. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. 5,000 men, not including women and children. Must have taken ages. But this glorious verse, verse 42 Love this. And they all ate and were satisfied. Compassion of Jesus satisfies our deepest desires. How many baskets were filled with the leftovers? Twelve. Twelve baskets, it says there, were full of leftovers. How many apostles are there? Twelve. One basket full for each apostle. They went from being hungry to being satisfied to having blessing in abundance, more than they could possibly eat, spilling over with food. You know, Jesus fed their physical hunger. He fed their spiritual hunger. We could even say he, he, he addressed their political hunger, their political desires. Compassion of Jesus satisfies our deepest desires. You know, it's one, one way, I suppose, that we can understand the Christian faith, or rather the effects of the Christian faith on those who, who have it, who, who, who believe Jesus. Um, Jesus satisfies the deepest desires of your heart. That's what he does. That's what he will do if you don't yet have faith in him. He will satisfy the deepest, and I mean the deepest desires of your heart. Not just the religious desires you think you should have, the deepest desires of your hearts. And quite often, depending on the sort of tradition you're from, on the background, the experiences you've had, we think of the Christian faith um, as being a matter of uh, sinning that we've done wrong and forgiveness that God gives us. 
Amen. Praise God for the forgiveness that Jesus gives us. If you've come to Foundation Church, you'll know that we love that. We love that. Um, but yet what we're seeing here is, is sort of uh, connected. It, it surrounds that forgiveness. It, it sort of overflows. This is that Jesus satisfies our heart's desires. We, we, we're created with desires, right? As, as people, we all have them. Hungers the, the, to be satisfied. Um, maybe you have them just now as your, your stomach is maybe starting to growl or maybe you're thinking of, of food or something. But you've been created to desire food. Um, not just so you can get energy on board and go and do stuff, although that's important, but, but, but created with, a, with a, 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 a desire to enjoy food, different flavors, different experiences, different tastes. You, you've been created to enjoy and to be full and, 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 to, and to be satisfied. Likewise, we're given other desires as well. We have a sexual desire, which is really, I suppose, could be understood as a hunger for intimacy. You know, a hunger to be accepted by somebody that I could be truly vulnerable with and truly desired by. We're created with romantic desires, a desire to be loved, to be cherished, to be protected and supported and loved on by somebody. You know, we're given creative desires, let's say. A desire to produce something of significance. A desire to produce something that lasts longer than me, that speaks of a message greater than me, that shares something significant with the world. Likewise, many other desires. And when we think of, 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 of the problem with our world and the problem with ourselves, the problem is not desire itself. But the problem is when those desires are mismatched, when, when, when they're disoriented. Um, the, the problem comes when we seek to be satisfied outside of God's purposes for those desires that he has created you to have. Um, desires, just to be clear, desires are not bad, but when they're affixed to the wrong objects, that's when you come off the rails. Just think about this for a moment. Let's just assume, for the sake of argument, let's assume that we are created by God in his image with desires. All right? That's how we've been made. And we've been created to be ultimately satisfied by God. If that's the case, then doesn't it make sense that we find fulfillment in the way that God has wired us up? You know, along, along the lines of his word and his good pleasure and his good will for, our peop- for, for us as people. St. Augustine a, can be described as a giant of the church in the 5th century. Stands head and shoulders above so many. Uh, academic excellence. Second only possibly to the Apostle Paul in terms of his, his, his thinking, his learnedness his theological understanding. And yet he was someone who, who um, had uh, tried to find fulfillment through his sexuality, through all sorts of, of, of experiences and indulgences, and he, he just found that, that he came up short every time. He had freedom to do whatever he wanted. Didn't satisfy him. Then he, he went from his academic life to his sexuality. Then he went on to, to a contemplative life, a philosophical life, embracing the latest philosophies, trying to find purpose, trying to find satisfaction. 
And eventually, as he uh, shares in his, his um, autobiography called His Confessions, um, he was always hungry, always hungry, never satisfied, despite having every opportunity to do everything and understand everything. And then he wrote this incredibly famous line in his confessions, his diary. He said, and this is his prayer to God, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We've been created to find our rest and our satisfaction in God. And unless we understand that, our hearts are going to be restless. We'll never find satisfaction. There'll always be a hunger. The Apostle Paul uses slightly different language to explain the same thing. He says uh, in Romans 3, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He, he's saying that, 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 that we are going after other loves and we are falling short, drastically reducing for ourselves what God intends us, which is nothing short of his glory. Until we fix our hearts on the greatest object of love, which is God himself, we will always be restless. We will always fall short. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Because of Jesus' compassion for you, he came to reorient your hearts back to God. He, he came to show you and remind you and affix you onto the object of your affections, the object that your heart, the one that your heart truly desires, your creator God, the one who loves you. There's a famous sermon um, from the 19th century, a Scottish preacher by the name of Thomas Chalmers. I'll not give you too many details. You can read it for free on the internet. But um, the title of the sermon says it all. The expulsive power of a new affection. Title of his sermon. And what he was saying was, in order to obtain a change of heart, a transformation. It's not a case of stopping things, you know, a checklist of religious things that we stop and a checklist of things that we start. Chalmers says we must find something to fix our hearts on, something more lovely, something more desirable, something more glorious. And once you've found that, says Chalmers, then your behavior will follow. Once your heart's desire has been met in God, then everything else will come in behind that. How does, how do, how does this all work? How does this work for us today? Well, we get, a, we get a, a reflection of it in verse 41. Jesus took the bread, blessed the bread, broke the bread, and fed them with the bread. Those four actions are identically picked up again in Mark chapter 14. The night before Jesus was crucified, he sat there with his disciples, this time in peace, for another meal. He took the bread, it says. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And he fed them with the bread. And what was he doing? He was, he was enacting uh, through a ceremonial meal what was about to happen to him on the cross a matter of hours later, where Jesus took his body offered it to God and had it broken on the cross and then said to his disciples in three days, feed on me by faith. Take, take, take this into yourselves. Believe in me. See it was for you. Taste 
and see. He did that so that your heart can be reoriented back to your lover, the lover of your soul, your creator God. You see, when, when we see this, when we see the compassion of Jesus as he takes, as he blesses, as he breaks, as he feeds, you, you will think to yourself, this is wonderful love. This is stupendous love. This is passionate love for me. Why, why then would I look primarily at sex to find that intimacy and that uh, acceptance when I can see all that Jesus has done for me? I, I can know that I am deeply accepted and, and loved intimately and passionately by God. When you see what Jesus did for you on the cross, you, you'll think to yourself, well, why look at romance as the ultimate source of my affection? Uh, uh, knowing that I'm cherished by a, a romantic relationship instead, when I see what Jesus has done, I realize that God has loved me to the heavens and back. That now I am the object of his affections. When you see this, when you see the gospel, you will stop trying to relentlessly find, restlessly find ultimate satisfaction in any of these other things whether it's sex or romance or food or creativity or success. Instead, when you see the good news of the gospel and you take Jesus on by faith, instead you will see these things as gifts to enjoy, but not as ultimate pleasures in and of themselves. You see, the gospel truly frees us to enjoy the gifts that God gives us rather than being enslaved by them, rather than finding ourselves restless. So the first thing we see then is that the compassion of Jesus satisfies our deepest desires. Does he satisfy your deepest desire, by the way, as, as, as we're talking about this? Does, is your heart restless? You know, are, are you spending too much time trying to find satisfaction in that which will not satisfy you? Come to me, says Jesus. So the second thing then we'll see, we've seen the compassion of Jesus satisfies our deepest desires, but then number two, the compassion of Jesus stirs faith-filled mission. All right, we've just seen at the top of our story in verse 30, um, the, the disciples are rushing back, full of stories of all their successes and, and, and just looking forward to this chill time with Jesus. All right, just time to get the team together. And Jesus said as much, you know, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest. Oh, it just sounds so good. You know, I've just been hard at work healing these lepers and, and, and driving out evil spirits and preaching the gospel. I love the sound of some rest time with my buddies and with Jesus. Let's get a boat. Let's get some fish. Let's have a barbecue. It sounds awesome. And maybe the apostles were just a little bit disappointed when they looked at the shore and they saw this mass of people, predominantly men probably, gathering, looking to Jesus for leadership. Bit disappointed. Kind of wrecked our plans actually. You know, we've, we've done the hard work ministering here and now it's our turn to have a bit of rest and relaxation and now you people are kind of wrecking that for us. We've earned this. Be gone. 
Anyway, verse 35, obviously they accepted the situation. They, they, they you know, stood back, let Jesus do what he does best, teaching and feeding the people. Amazing. But then, as, as we've seen already in verse 35, they're just aware, like, time is ticking on here. Come on, what about our time? What about the boys? Come on. Let's get together. Just, let's just call, call time on this. Let's, you know, just, it's getting late. We're in a desolate place. Send them away. Just send them away. Let them buy themselves something to eat. All right? We're not going to do anything. We, we, we don't really, you know, we're not, our hearts aren't burning for these people. Just enough is enough, Jesus. Come on. Verse 37, Jesus gives them the command they probably weren't looking forward to, didn't want. Jesus said, you feed them. Uh, Okay, Jesus, you know, um, sure, great idea. You feed them. Don't forget, they're just back from a mission trip where they literally healed sick people and cast out demons and saw amazing things. Don't forget they've just been hanging out with Jesus for probably the best part of a year or so, seeing him do incredible miracles, speaking to the wind and waves and they obey him and all is calm. And yet at this moment here, they're just more annoyed at the fact that they're blocking my time with Jesus. Just, just send them away. It's a test, right? Jesus is testing their faith. Always, we're always learning. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're always learning. You're always listening to him and he's always showing you how you can you know, come closer to him. All right? Maybe a hint of sarcasm even came in in verse 37 from the disciples. And they said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii? That's about 10,000 pounds. 10 grand's worth of bread and feed all these people? Now, they're in a desolate place, right? We know that. There's no markets. There's no shops. There's no towns. No one's carrying that amount of money around in their pocket. That's clear. They're just being a bit sarcastic, aren't they? A bit, a bit, a bit snippy. Are you kidding? The bottom line here, Jesus, is that we've done our service and, and our plans have been messed up. We don't want the crowds here anymore. Just, just get rid of them. And maybe just a little side note here. Maybe you can experience something like that too. I know I, I do, certainly on a Sunday afternoon. You know, I've just been serving so hard. I've just been doing my time for Jesus, doing ministry for, for him and, and his name. And it's at that moment when we think we've done a good job for Jesus that, that, that I think we're most susceptible to being stingy and loveless. You know, we've done our God bits. Now it's time for me to chill. Just leave me alone. Set up my boundaries. Keep out, all right? Side note. Back on with it. Jesus said, go and find me some food. And so they managed to muster up five loaves and two fish. A bit of a token gesture, it must be said. See, Jesus, this is all we got. What are you talking about? They, they regather. There's a small amount in their hands. Maybe they're a bit embarrassed with what they managed to get together. Um, maybe they're a bit ashamed of what they had. Perhaps just a bit half-hearted. You know, there it is. Whatever, five loaves. Okay. Um, see, you know, there's nothing, nothing we can do. Um, Jesus instead looks at what they bring. Brilliant, he says. That'll do nicely. And so he takes food that's probably just enough for a snack for two people. And he starts to divide it out and feeds over that course of the evening 5,000 men, let alone women and children who may have been there. I think this can probably be understood as, I don't know, I think it's like a subtle miracle. It's not that subtle, right? It's 5,000 people fed. But at the time, 
it's likely that just the, the, the disciples knew about what was going on. Everybody else was just sat in their groups of 50s and 100s and suddenly this food appeared. At that time, probably only the disciples knew and yet I'm sure word, word spread. You know, Jesus could have made something out of nothing. All right? Or he could have taken some, some stones and said, okay, bread, and the stones become bread. He could have done that. But yet he chose to use what his disciples had. Maybe they felt it was small or insignificant or slightly embarrassing, but Jesus, it shows us, was pleased to use what was small and what was ordinary and multiply that and bring an exponential effect. Right? They had something, they gave it to Jesus, and he did the rest, and it was remarkable. This has got such great power to preach to our hearts. We see this in Jesus' first miracle, as John tells us, at the Cana wedding. You know when he turns water into wine? We've been singing about that. He takes again what is ordinary, what is insignificant, a bunch of water, and he turns it into this abundant provision, this lavish provision of fine wine so that people can celebrate. And likewise, at the communion, at the Lord's Supper, he takes that which is every day, right? The bread and the wine, and he, 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 he makes it significant. He makes it powerful in his kingdom. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, he feeds the people, and they are satisfied with what Jesus brings them. Come and banquet with me, effectively, he's saying. Come and enjoy, come and celebrate at my banquets. The compassion of Jesus stirs faith filled mission. Folks, this has huge implications for us as a church. Um, we, we, uh, our vision statement here at Foundation Church is to catalyze gospel transformation in our city and in our nation through resourcing, renewal, and replication. And we do that as a community on mission, right? We do that together. It's not just one or two of us. We do that together. And so, so, so maybe this teaching has an implication for, for us as a church, for you yourself, for your resources. Together, sometimes we can be tempted to look at what we have and look at who we are and our numbers and our money and all that and think, oh, we're just small. Right? We're, we're insignificant. It's kind of a bit embarrassing. You know, that we're, we're a small fish in a big pond. Look at these other guys down the road and how much money they've got. And maybe you think that too about yourself personally, about, about your, your talents and your abilities and maybe your, your spiritual gifting or even your financial resources. And, and, and you look at yourself and think, but that's not much. I mean, look at these other people. They've got more than I have. She, she's more blessed than I am. He, he can do that better than I can. What is this? So let me just encourage you this morning on, on the basis of what we're learning from God's words in the eyes of Jesus, what you have is not insignificant. It is not embarrassing. It is not small because Jesus, as we have seen, can take the smallest thing and blesses it and multiplies it and uses it for exponential effect in his kingdom. All right, so don't, don't, don't hold back on what you've got. What do you have? What is in your hand? Like not right now physically, or it might be if you're holding onto your wallet. But what have you got in your hand? What has God given you? Don't wait until it gets to a certain level before you think he'll be okay with it. All right? Give what you have now. Don't, don't let these false ideas that it's not enough or it's not cool enough or big enough prevent you from giving sacrificially. 
uh, or being generous with whatever it is that he's, he's given you. All right? He takes whatever you've got. But just to finish off here, not only he takes whatever you've got, he takes whoever you are. Okay? Verse 41. Look at what happens. Took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it out, fed the people. But look, he gave it to the disciples to set before the people. Could Jesus have created a big pile and said, right, form an orderly queue, come and help you? Of course he could. But he gave it to his people, right? He gave it to his followers to, to, to distribute. We don't know exactly at what place the miracle took place. Was it when Jesus gave it to the disciples or was it when the disciples gave it to the people or maybe a bit of both? Who knows? Doesn't say. But the point here is that Jesus used his people to do his work. He chose to use his disciples to do his multiplying ministry. Right? It's as if Jesus was saying, look, guys, I want you to experience my compassion. All right? I want you to be my hands and feet. I want you to go and love and serve and feed these people in my name. I want you to feel it in your hands. All right? I, I want you to, to see people being fed and be satisfied and be filled. I want you to be filled and then see others being filled with what I give you. You know, we say here at Foundation, we're a community on mission. And mission means being sent out by Jesus to go on the mission, to show and tell the kingdom of God. I just feel like Jesus is saying to us, you know, have faith in me. Have faith in what I can do. Don't look at what's in your hand or, 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 or the smallness of, of, of the current situation. Have faith in me. Trust my plan. I'll cause the growth. And do you notice, just finally, the disciples at the end, they're not depleted. You know, they, they thought that they would push the crowds away, right? They thought they would create some nice, safe and, and large boundaries. They thought they would get their rest and they had to fight for that. They thought they knew what they needed. They were tired. They were annoyed. They were just getting a bit sarky with Jesus. And yet, they got way more than they gave. You know, they were, they were, they were filled to overflowing. Jesus satisfied his disciples. That is his community on mission. He satisfied them and he gives to them in abundance. More than they could cope with that's what it's like in the kingdom of God yes there is suffering in the, you know, uh, for the kingdom we've seen that in John the Baptist's case yes there's rejection and misunderstanding we've seen that already in Jesus' case but we get far more out of it than we'll ever put in it's the, the economics of the kingdom Jesus after all said of course it is more blessed to give than receive is this not what he's talking about So let's, as a church, and you uh, as individuals, allow the compassion of Jesus to stir us to faith-filled mission in what he can do through us. Thy kingdom come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for feeding us with your word. We thank you for feeding us with your, your body, Lord Jesus you gave for us, and that by faith we, we, we receive you into ourselves and, 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 and we, can, we can trust you, Lord, and, and you transform us, you satisfy us.
Father God, may that be our experience. Forgive us for trying to get satisfaction in other places. In the words of that song, I can't get no satisfaction. It doesn't work. But Lord, only in you can we find our true desires met in and through Jesus Christ. Help us to know what that, what that looks like. Help us to experience that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.